Eureka John, and you're at Eureka Street Crypto. Broadcasting live from Leander, Texas, it is 6.09 in the morning on January 30th, 2022, on a Sunday morning. And this is episode 400, y'all, 400. <clears throat> so yeah, man, I've been been going at it for a little while. Um, lately, I haven't really been doing it every single day. Um, as, uh, yeah, man, I... <laughs> You know, I'm paying my dues, doing all this stuff, and uh, trying to learn as much as I can. Um, but I do realize that uh, I have a lot of other stuff going on, and um, I ain't getting paid for this. So I just do this because this is fun, and I love learning about crypto. I love learning about AV, audiovisual, and streaming, and all this stuff. And I have learned a ton. Um, but uh, yeah, um, I still have another whole life to live. Like yesterday, I uh, woke up. And I slept in a little bit and it felt good. You know, I slept in until 7.15. <laughs> wow. And uh, then I went skateboarding, you know, with a bunch of my friends uh, that, you know, that I've had for a long time. And it felt good, man. You know, I wasn't all stressed worrying about trying to get an episode out. So sometimes you just got to take care of yourself and do what you got to do um, and step away from the crypto space. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of people are, um, worried about all this dip and everything like that. I'm not too worried. I'm at the point now where, uh, in crypto where I'm learning how a lot of these technologies work and, uh, and I'm watching what is happening, um, in web three as, as a whole, um, in crypto economics and stuff like that. I, I don't even, I mean, I don't even really care what a one token is price is doing over another token price i mean sure you know of course you want things to succeed but overall the world is changing you know and i just i want to see ways in, in that it's changing and try to 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 be a step ahead of the game you know so i can be prepared for whatever eventual scenario and not necessarily just sit around and try to make a quick buck off of some arbitrage pricing action um so yeah I, and i just i love being a part of all this stuff you know like I, and when the internet first came around in the 90s you know i was i was young man i was like shoot 91 i was about 16 years old or something like that you know and so i didn't really quite understand anything all that i didn't know what was going on you know so now this is like another a second chance for me to be able to participate in this as an adult and to be able to like to fully engage in everything that's going on, um, to look at the latest articles and philosophies and technology of stuff. I guess like uh, f uh, Friday, um, I read about Celestia and all the, I got a little technical. Some episodes I get super technical and some I get more philosophical and stuff like that. Some I just read the news. It just depends on what kind of mood I'm in today or each day. And I got pretty highly technical the last episode. So this episode, I'm going to get a little more philosophical, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just I, I enjoy being able to engage in what is happening right now in history um, in this in this way. So, yeah. Um, anyway, let's uh, let's go over here to CoinGecko. Let's take a look at the prices and not because I'm trying to sit here and break down and slice into um you know nuggets and stuff like that the pricing action um and do technical analysis because that's not what i do but because i want to see just you know overarching daily patterns of price and just notice if anything is severely out of whack uh to look at um to try to to understand some macro trends and stuff like that so bitcoin's at thirty-eight thousand. 
Um, so everything's kind of gone up. Yesterday was a green day. It was a good Saturday. It was beautiful weather in Austin, Texas. You know, it was, um, you know, shoot, I took my kids to the grocery store around 7.30 in the morning or around 7 in the morning. Yeah, I got up. No, I got up around 6.30. So, yeah. And, um, you know, they, they got the little race cart shopping cart, man. And they they never get that because it's always being used. And my, my daughter, she's like, today's a lucky day. And I was looking at the crypto markets. Everything was green. It was beautiful weather. I had a great day with my homies. Like it was it was a lucky day, man. So um, hopefully that that luck extends to today. Um, so let's see here. Ethereum is at two thousand six hundred and twenty six. So everything is kind of going up back up a little bit. You know, I don't know um, if this is going to continue or not, but, uh, you know, it's it's, it's it's getting some sun coming out from behind the clouds. Um, Binance coin three eighty five sixty six, um, and then Cardano down at number six at a dollar seven. Funny because I saw in Cardano there's this article. Uh, where are you? Um, the metaverse is coming out on Cardano, which is uh, pretty interesting. You know, like Cardano, what's up, dude? Getting in the game, the metaverse game. Look at this, Pavia. I guess is what they're calling it. The the with the advent of Pavia, metaverse arrives on the Cardano blockchain. Uh, have you ever imagined living in two parallel worlds controlled virtually via reality headsets? Can you envision the rare experience you can have traveling in space as mimicking? Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about this for a couple of years now. It's called Meta and, you know, the Metaverse and everything like that. But now Cardano's doing it. Um, yeah, and with Pavia, you know, they've, they've got NFTs on their blockchain. Um, you know, they have, I guess, a DEX, you know, Sunday Swap and stuff like that. I don't know. Um you know, we'll, we'll see what's going on with Cardano. You know, they, they, they've been a long time coming on a lot of stuff. Um, I haven't discounted completely Cardano, I guess. Um, and a lot of people really love it, but, um, yeah, it's interesting to see now though, that they do have the metaverse incorporated on their blockchain. So, you know, Hey, you know, uh, hopefully they make something good and successful. And, uh, you know, I've I've sold my Cardano quite a while back, so I, I don't have any stake in the game. Now I can just casually watch and go along as well as they do what they do. So. All right. Anyway, back to the old coin gecko. Um, let's see here. Solana is uh, just moving sideways at ninety six twenty XRP, 62 cents, Polkadot, 1888, uh, Terra, $50 and 50 cents. Um, Dogecoin, 14 cents. Avalanche, back up from $60 to $70. I've, I keep saying, you know, if you really want to do some like fancy arbitrage trading and like, you know, capitalize off of some swingy movements, Avalanche is pretty volatile. Like, you know, I like Avalanche, you know, but uh, um, price wise, you know, I've seen it down to 60 up to, you know, 120, you know, going around between $70 and $115 on a regular basis on an almost daily basis. It's just, you know, Avalanche is all over the place. So if you, you really think you know how to time uh, market pricing and do some arbitrage trading and stuff like that, well, Avalanche might be a good one for you. Um, it's not my game, you know, but uh, hey, everybody's got their shtick, right? Um, let's see here. Uh, ah, FTX token up 24% and the FTX exchange. I was a uh, um, reading some articles about Sam Bankman Freed and stuff. It seems like a pretty cool cat, man. I don't know. Uh, the guy like went from, you know, just some computer nerd, um, in a basement and said, I'm going to be learning 
Yeah, I want to learn how to make money. Uh, and he went to MIT though too. And um, he started an exchange because he saw that um, Bitcoin in Japan was trading for a, a thousand or two, I believe it was more than it was in the United States. And then just did like 21 of those trades back to back and earned several million dollars. And then from there continued on. And then he developed FTX exchange. But the guy still drives a Toyota Corolla. And that's what I like about him. He's not really like all into this whole, I want to be, you know, building Lambos thing. You know, I want to I want to get a bunch of Lambos and Wind Moon and all that stuff. No, man, he's like, you know, he's grounded. Like if I ever got millions of dollars off of crypto, like seriously, I'd probably just keep driving my Subaru. You know? <laughs> like, I got a beat up hail damaged Subaru and it's fine. It works. It drives, you know? So I, I don't care about the Lambos and stuff. Um, anyway, um, let's go over here to an article that I, um, well, I get the Bankless HQ newsletter. I have a couple articles I want to read today um, about economics and some more macro, you know, top-down matters. Okay. So, uh, dear Bankless Nation, the White House said crypto is a matter of national security this week. So if you don't know, um, Joe Biden and uh, are, are coming out with these measures that they want to slam down and you know regulate crypto, and they're calling crypto a national security threat. You know, oh my God, this that's just like. Ugh. You know, the, the, anything that comes out as a national security threat is probably not good, you know, um, but they use that as a moniker. And it's going to be time when they when we actually have a real security threat. And we're so used to, you know, it's like the boy who cried wolf. We're so used to the government calling everything national security threats that we're going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll just be completely annihilated as a nation because we've been so used to everything being called a national security threat. Uh, anyway, it's a. The, the White House said crypto is a matter of national security this week. Okay, here we go again, says um, who, who wrote this article? Ryan Sean Adams. Okay, so if you're anything like me, you don't spend all waking hours trying to figure out how the U.S. government is trying to kill crypto next. Um, you care deeply. You want a sensible crypto policy. You want to defend crypto against incumbents who want to strangle this freedom-giving technology and cage us all in their tilted, broken systems. Three, ha three things happened just this week. So one, the White House says it wants crypto rules as a matter of national security. Okay, so they're really trying to crack down and regulate and structure uh, all this crypto space because they don't like people doing things willy-nilly on their own um, and in control of their own finances. And I'll get to that in a second with another another article. So they're releasing a memo um, in the next couple of weeks when they use the term national security, you know it's not good. Language was introduced in the Competes Act that would give Treasury a blank check to ban crypto at exchanges. That sounds bad. And some crypto advocate advocates are imploring us to call our representatives to get this removed. So yeah, to ban crypto at exchanges. Uh, there's this funny meme here. Um, where'd you go, meme? All right, so, uh, okay. Um, maybe it's, it's up there, okay. Uh, well, okay, I can't get this to low. Oh, here, there it is. You know, it shows this meme right here and it shows the, the old Nazi soldiers with the Tommy gun and the dogs and uh, the villager lady. She's pointing Yeah, he owns that address. And that's basically what the exchanges are going to be like, you know, pointing and, and giving giving up to the authorities your address and your name, you know, because 
they can see that because you had to go through KYC in order to be able to use those centralized exchanges. And um, yeah, they're going to be on the hunt, right? The government's going to be on the hunt for all the people that have um, owned crypto, maybe not claimed it or whatever. So language was introduced in the Competes Act that would give Treasury a blank check to ban crypto ad exchanges. That sounds bad. And some crypto advocates are imploring us to call our representatives to get this removed. Uh, no, no, number three, the sneak, the SEC is sneak attacking DeFi. They're trying, and if you don't know, it's decentralized finance. They're these uh, protocols that are online that allow you to do exchange type of activity in crypto and uh, saving and staking and you know all that stuff with interest-bearing accounts uh, without having to give up your identification and just to connect your wallet. So anyway, unlike centralized exchanges, which make you go through a KYC process and hold up your driver's license next to like a, a, a water bill or something like that, I don't know, and uh, show your picture and all that, and so they know who you are. So anyway, the sneak, the sneak, the SEC is sneak attacking DeFi. They're trying to expand the definition of securities exchange to include automated market makers like Uniswap and DeFi protocols, maybe wallets and block explorers too, while giving only 30 days to comment so they can slip it through 30 days. All right, it's exhausting to keep up with, but we're still here. Uh, <laughs> So, um, so what does uh, the author, Ryan Sean Adams of Bankless HQ, think about these issues? On the White House crypto rules, we'll see. On the Completes Act, um, he says, I'm with Jake Shavinsky, don't lose any sleep. On the SEC sneak attack on DeFi, it's hard to know intent. We know Gary Gensler wants power over crypto, and his actions tell us he's more excited to protect incumbents than retail. Um, in her dissent, Hester Pierce so you have at the SEC, you have Gary Gensler, you know, who everybody thought was going to be on the side of crypto because at MIT, he used to teach about cryptocurrency, you know, and blockchain technology and everything like that. So they were all excited for Gary Gensler to get into office and, you know, to, to jump in and, you know, take the reins. But it turns out the guy just turned into a complete a-hole. He's trying to regulate everything and all crypto. And uh, yeah, he's cracking down. He's completely 100% on the side of the banks. Then you have Hester Pierce over here on the other side, who also works for the SEC. And uh, she's out there saying, you know, on the side of the crypto uh, degens and everything like that. And on the side of DeFi, supposedly, you know, maybe it's good cop, bad cop. I don't know. But, uh, you know, she is not in line and, or aligned with everything that Gary Gensler is doing. And uh, she seems to be, and she's been interviewed on Bankless and stuff like that, I believe. I think it was Bankless or was it the Defiant? It was one of the two. <laughs> this is the decentralized finance media outlets. She's been interviewed on there and she you knows she says good things about the, the cryptocurrency um, revolution that's happening. Anyway, so Gary Gensler wants power over his crypto and over crypto and his actions tell us he's more excited to protect incumbents than retail. In her dissent, Hester Pierce says it's an irresponsible abdication to only give the public 30 days to comment. Yeah, <laughs> yep, she nailed it. 30 days is a joke. I guess we hurry up and comment and then wait for the next attack. Gaslighting much? Uh, so it feels like we're battling a hydra with infinite heads bent on the destruction of Web3 in America. Why do they hate crypto so much? Why don't they get out of crypto's way as they did with the early internet? Um, I used to, well, they didn't really, Joe Biden back then was even sitting there trying to install the clipper chips in everybody's computers. And so the government would all have a back end into everybody's computers, no matter what. So they didn't quite, you know, 
get out of the way with the early internet. But uh, anyway, uh, Dave, Ryan Sean Adams says, I used to ask these questions more, but now I think we should expect this. This has all happened before many times. In fact, it turns out crypto isn't special. The conflict between incumbents who marshal nation state powers in an effort to squelch the disruptive new information networks isn't an exception. It's the rule. Um, he says, I'm reading a book called The Master Switch, recommended to me by Brian Armstrong. The book chronicles the rise and fall of the phone, radio, TV, and cable info networks. Um, each of these fits a similar pattern. The centralized network tries to delay the new decentralized technology through laws, regulators, presidents, Congress, and corporate rating. In some cases, they were able to delay the advance of the new technology by years. FM radio, for example, was squelched for decades by the Radio Corporation of America with a major assistance from the FCC. Um, for Edwin Armstrong invented FM radio, a clearly superior alternative to AM radio in 1939. 39. This technology was squelched by the FCC in corporate interest and didn't become mainstream until the 1970s. But in all cases, disruptive technology eventually wins. And then also, I mean, they've had electric vehicles out since like the early 1900s. And of course, that was being squelched by, by you know, the, the petroleum industry. You know, they can't be having electric vehicles out disrupting all that technology at the beginning with the petroleum industry. Anyway. Um, yeah, they read anything about Nikolai Tesla, you know, sitting there powering with wireless power an entire uh, town in New York's in up in, in upstate New York, you know, back in the early 1900s, you know, and then here comes Thomas Edison just squelching them all down and being it, Thomas Edison was an a-hole, honestly, uh, poor Nikolai Tesla died alone in a hotel room, you know, who knows, maybe they killed him and then they, they raided it and took all his documents and all his inventions and uh, squelched everything that he had designed and built uh, about using wireless power and everything like that. Uh, and the, because they wanted to build telephone poles, you know, <laughs> so, and then, yeah, there's a whole industry out there that would have been completely annihilated if Nikolai Tesla uh, were to have won that battle and uh, he didn't. And so we are um, still using backwards technology to this day because of that. Um, anyway, the, the next turn of the wheel is crypto. I was going on a tangent. Centralized banking networks have had their day. It's time for capital, capital to be free again. Centralized tech companies have had their moment. It's time for creators to own their contribution again. They can delay this. They can defer it. But they can't stop it, and any attempts to do so only harm their citizens and delay the inevitable. Missing crypto means missing an economic opportunity, the best jobs, the export of the U.S. dollar through stable coins, and national leadership in market capital markets. These are the foundations of national security. Stable coins are mostly, for the most part, pegged to the dollar. You know, like... <laughs> This is our opportunity to really like strengthen the dollar. So I guess they were right about one thing. Crypto is a matter of national security. So crypto is a matter of national security. And they were right about that. And by failing to support it, they make their nation less secure. Uh, so then they talk about what's lined up for the next week. Anyway, interesting little newsletter article. Um, then I want to go to this other article over here uh, brought out um, by the Token uh, Engineering Commons um project uh, along with uh let's see here uh, griff green and tamara uh the, the author here um it is tamara hellenius and uh the token engineering commons and the Commons stack and giveth.io i've done videos on it um it's a it's a really amazing project about regenerative finance and a whole different way to uh be able to give and then um 
while you're giving to nonprofits and stuff like that, you can also um, receive as well. And you, know, you receive these tokens back when you give, and then the value of those tokens rises, the better that that, that project does. And it's this whole regenerative finance type of concept that's really amazing. And I, I encourage you to dig into it uh, with Token Engineering Commons and the Commons stack and giveth.io and stuff like that. But that's a whole other episode. Uh, in this episode, um, I want to start by reading their first article, Collaborative Economics, a Nonviolent Revolution Against Technocracy. Um, she says, this is the first in a series of articles introducing our collaborative economics design and describing how the token engineering community in alliance with Commons Stack use these designs to launch their Commons economy. We hope other DAOs and organizations will find value in what we've learned and will experiment further with the underlying principles of collaborative economics. Collaborative economics, huh? Interesting. Okay. So like I said, we're looking at some macro stuff today. You know, um, I'm not getting into the, the, the nuances of Merkle trees and fraud proofs and everything like that. And layer two solutions and modular monolithic blockchains. Like I'd have, like I did last Friday, I'm looking at macro stuff. So anyway, um, democracy is based on the convention that there are extraordinary possibilities in ordinary people. That is a quote by Hem Henry Emerson Hostick. Um, and he says, democracy is based on the conviction that there are extraordinary possibilities in ordinary people, you and me, you and me, all right? Um, to, to introduce the concept of collaborative economics, we need to start by challenging a prevalent idea that ordinary people are incapable of understanding monetary policy. Yeah, so a guy like me can, can understand monetary policy, you know? Um, I work at, at a factory, you know? I mean, I'm not there on the line I'm the sales guy, you know, but, uh, you know, I, you know, I just work at a, a factory making commodities and I'm an ordinary person and I'm beginning to understand monetary policy. Um, and I'm capable of it, right? That we are capable of understanding this stuff. So it's monetary policy is assumed to be complex and nuanced in our, in our, in ways our brains can't possibly understand without multiple degrees, uh, and or concentrated study in economics, right? You know, I might have some degrees, you know, but they have nothing to do with economics or anything like that. Um, but what if we, the people were more directly involved, how much would we learn and form opinion opinions about uh, this pervasive idea that people are incapable of understanding monetary or fiscal policies keeps economic control in the hands of the few. And uh, yeah, that's why we have this whole 99 to 1%, the 1% at the top controlling the 99% of the resources and people. It's easy to imagine the 18th century aristocracy scoffing at the idea of a government ruled by the people. The more things change, huh? Uh, and they got the you know these pompous guys in these you know baroque 1700s um, suits and their white wigs and everything like that, just laughing at the incompetence of the average people. It reminds me of that meme too, with that guy you know standing on the balcony looking down at the ordinary people. Um, so democracy invites public participation in political decisions, but not economic ones. And this is the concept that I never really thought of before, because everybody's like, yeah, man, you get to vote. Yeah, just go vote. <laughs> yeah, but voting doesn't control monetary policy, you know, um, and lobbying. That's just another word for corruption, right? You know, yeah, yeah. The United States doesn't have any corruption, right? Yeah, no, no, no. But we just we just call it lobbying. So for 50 percent of the world's population living in democratic nations, um, we expect our elected representatives to honor our political preferences. 
but that representation stops short of monetary policy where decision makers are usually appointed for lengthy terms <laughs> All right. And who may not even be appointed by an elected official. So in the United States, the Federal Reserve's Board of Governors have 14 year terms. The regional Federal Reserve banking presidents are appointed by a board of directors made up of class B and class C directors of the banks, making them more representatives of the banking industry than the American people. Um, so, yeah, man, got to make sure those banks are represented. So monetary policies are designed and decided by small, unelected groups, a little to no public input or debate. Uh, we, the people, um, have no real say in monetary policy. Decision makers have no real accountability. And that's for sure. And we've seen that blatantly displayed recently. So David A. Levy asserts that democracy requires that the makers of monetary policy cannot stray far from the will of the people. In his paper, in his paper um, does an independent central bank violate democracy, raises a point we should all be conscious of. If we don't have democratic control of our monetary policy, we are subject to the golden rule. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And I think that's very apparent in everything that is happening in Congress right now. You know, every decision can be bought out. People say about all this stuff, you know, with, with the, the VA, double X, the jab in your arm. You know, well, it's science. Trust the science. You don't trust the CDC. You don't trust the WHO. That's science. No, man, it's not because it's all bought and paid for, you know, by Pfizer and by yeah. like, do you realize how easy science can be bought and paid for? You know, like. Money is, is is pretty tempting, you know. Uh, when you when you when each doctor and each each official is approached with a large sum of money, and they say, eh, you know, it won't matter. It's just me. But when you do that times ten, you know that that becomes an issue. Uh, to talk about monetary policy, we must start with a shared understanding about money. Money is one of the oldest and most powerful memes. The cultural counterpart of genes passed down generation to generation. Our culture would be entirely unrecognizable without money at its center. I believe that. Um, so even something as fundamental as writing came about through the need for better accounting systems in 3500 BC. In more modern times, money is best understood by its three primary functions. Store value, unit of account, and medium of exchange. All right. So, yeah, you know, listen to any Robert Breedlove um uh, episode on what is money, and that's what he'll say. And then Andreas Antopoulos, Antonopoulos, right? Um, he's an amazing, um, uh, I guess I would call him modern philosopher, um, and uh, he writes a lot about Bitcoin. He posits a fourth function, a system of control. Uh, he reasons that money became a political tool with the Banking Secrecy Act of 1970, which enabled the surveillance of all financial transactions worldwide, effectively deputizing the financial services field into a branch of law enforcement with borderless reach and without due process or democratic control. Um, that's that's pretty amazing when you think about it. So, yeah, money is a store of value. You know, it's uh, um, where where you can put it. Um, it's a unit of account. Um, it's how much you have. And it's a medium of exchange, you know, how you can use it. And then it has a fourth function, a system of control. And uh, so it becomes a branch of law enforcement. And in 1970 was right about the time when you started having credit cards um, and with a credit card, your identification and everything is attached to this money. And so they know who you are, what you're spending, where you're spending your money at. They can audit you as a person. So that was the beginning of cash being phased out. 
You know, um, you remember the old, you know, you bring your credit card. I don't know if you remember, but I remember my mom would go to the department store and they would do the little <coughs> thing, you know, and they you would they would make a carbon copy of your credit card, which was attached to your ID, which was attached to a bank account and a ledger and everything like that. And then a ledger on the credit card company. And so they know it, all your information if you spend it on a credit card. Well, now all that's become computerized and digitized, and you can't do anything without the government or, or and banking institutions and credit card companies knowing about it. And so that was effectively the end of cash. And the fact that we can still use cash is, is a miracle to me. And so that's another reason for Bitcoin kind of being a miracle. Um, this whole idea of being able to operate on an electronic system in a way that cash does in an anonymous way. And so that is very important. So especially when you look at it with this quote in mind, he reasons that money became a political tool with the Banking Secrecy Act of 1970, which enabled the surveillance of all financial transactions worldwide, effectively deputizing the financial services field into a branch of law enforcement with borderless reach and without due process or democratic control. This fourth function of money is just one more reason why we need to apply democratic principles to monetary policy, which now with token economies becomes possible. On the first page of her seminal work, Governing the Commons, Eleanor Ostrom writes that communities of individuals have relied on institutions resembling neither the state nor the market to govern some resource systems with reasonable degrees of success over long periods of time, exposing the false dichotomy that managing shared resources requires either government control or privatization. So she's saying, you know, that um, we can um, individuals can manage their own money basically without, without government control or privatization. Her groundbreaking analysis of economic governance and commons earned her a Nobel prize in economic sciences and illustrates a greater point. Commons are not just organizations, they are economies. So she basically states the obvious, you know, that individuals and the average person is smart enough to, to control their own money. And we don't need government control and privatization in it. But she puts it in a way, you know, that disproves a lot of the whole um, written and, and mental gymnastics that a lot of these, and gaslighting that a lot of these institutions put on the people. Um, and say, you know, <laughs> they basically gaslight us to say that we can't figure out our own money. And so she says, there's no reason to believe that bureaucrats and politicians, no matter how well meaning, are better at solving problems than the people on the spot who have the strongest incentive to get the solution right. It's so obvious, but it takes somebody to win a Nobel Prize and to be this you know, famous economist to say so in order for people to actually believe it. So with Ostrom's work as our North Star, we spent years thinking about developing the protocols for launching an economy through collaborative economic design. This approach ensures that the decision-making is in the hands of the community, counteracting the seemingly unavoidable technocracy of crypto economies. And we call this collaborative econ economics. So yeah, um, crypto economies um, are, are trying to get around the whole technocracy that we have um, if we have a CBDC come in and take control and be our only way to be able to transact uh, in the system, then everything we do, we have zero privacy. So that's why it's really important that this whole idea of privacy and being able to use digital cash, since everything is going digital anyway, 
We need to be able to main, keep up with the technology and maintain our privacy within that technology. So yeah, that's why it's really important for all this stuff uh, to happen in the correct way. So anyway, that's uh, I think this whole idea of collaborative economics is is a good foundation. I'm sure with the the the, the further articles that are they're going to come out, they're going to explain some more of the technical nuances of the token engineering and the common stack um, that, that that's being developed on uh, how um, economies and how communities can tokenize um, their their um, their resources, tokenize their money, and uh, and you know, tokenize their viewpoint and their culture. So yeah. Anyway, uh, that's that. I'm um, over time now. Thirty two minutes. I you know never think that I'm gonna go past thirty minutes, and I always do. Sometimes I even go to like forty five minutes. All right, man. Well, I gotta go, and I will talk to you guys um, probably tomorrow. I think. All right. Later. Thank you for making it to the end of this program. If you actually like this content, give a thumbs up. And if you want to hear more, just hit the subscribe button. I'm available on YouTube, Odyssey, and BitChute, and on all the major podcasting platforms in audio version. Spotify specifically. If you would like to follow and leave a review, that would help a lot. I am also available on Twitter at EurekaJohn1. That's E-U-R-E-K-A John, J-O-H-N, and the number one. My DMs are always open. Feel free to shoot me a message. If you would like to donate some stablecoin or Ethereum, please feel free to send it to eurekajohn.crypto or eurekajohn.eth. This will help with the gas costs for all these protocols that I mess around with. Because that gas adds up and I ain't rich. Yet. Thanks again.